Well, bless the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made, and it's indeed a privilege to share with you the word of God. As Apostle Valentine has asked me to share the word, the Apostle is currently finding himself in Kansas City, and we do continue to pray that God will bless him and empower him as he serves ministers to the brethren over there. The title of today's word is the power, or rather God's powerful word, which is made clear to us in Hebrews 4 from verse 12 to 13. So we will read and we will look at that passage of scripture in Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. Now, when we read in particular Hebrews Four, verse 11, which is the verse just before verse 12 and 13, we find that it gives us a brief summary of all that which has been said from Hebrews 3, verse 7, up to Hebrews 4, verse 10. And it gives us a summary of the warnings and the how Israel were serving to us as an example. So it reads as follows in Hebrews 4 verse 11, it says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. This is the new international version. The amplified version speaks as follows. It says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves, so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience as those who died in the wilderness. Then the Phillips translation puts it this way. It says, let us then be eager to know this rest for ourselves, and let us be, beware that no one misses it through falling into the same kind of unbelief as those we have mentioned. These referring to the Israelites. So this calls a need for us to be diligent to enter the rest that remains, where the Bible speaks about the rest that remains. So this rest that remains is our heavenly rest. So it is needful for us to be diligent else we may fall short of our heavenly rest, just as many Israelites fell short of their Canaan rest. So to stress the need for diligence, we are then reminded regarding the word of God in Hebrews 12 verse 13. This is stressing the need for us to be diligent because the passage that follows then speaks to us why it is important for us to be diligent. Firstly, the word that uh, which is provided provides an example of the Israelites' obedience. So this word that Hebrews 12 uh, speaks about is speaking about the example, the words that were said before, showing us, telling us that there is an example of Israelites that's, that has been disobedient. And it also uh, gives us a warning 
warning to the Hebrew, Hebrew the Hebrew writer writes this to the Hebrews and he gives us this warning not to emulate the Israelites example. So let us read Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Firstly, um, it says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any, dub any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joins and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. No creature, this is verse 13, no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Then the amplified version of, speaks as follows, it says, for the word of God is living and active and powerful and full of power. The, the, let me read it again. For the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit the completeness of a person and of both joints and marrow, the depths part of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. Verse 13, and not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight, but all things are open and exposed and revealed to the eyes of him with whom we have to give an account. So in this passage, there are various uh, examples given. In this passage, the word of God is ascribed in the following amazing terms. And we've read the verses of scripture in Hebrews 12, 4 verse 12 to 13. And in this passage, in verse 12 in particular, it is described, the word of God is described in terms and the first thing it says there that the word of God is living. It is a living word. In Romans 8 verse 11, we see that it reads that, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. It's speaking about the power of God. And then the King James Version says, but if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. This is showing the power of God's word. It is able to quicken us by the spirit of God that dwells us. Then also another term that it refers to is that the word is powerful. You'll see in later passages that the word of God is, 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 is a Lord's power unto salvation. It also says that the word is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. It is the discerner, fourthly, it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
Now, it is needful for us to read the word of God on a continuous basis. And at, this, at a time where people are often neglecting the word of God, even by some Christians, it is not a waste of time to spend time into the word, in the word of God and to contemplate on the wonder of God's word. And this is what we need to continuously do. So we take opportunity to reflect upon what is said in this passage of scripture. And with a desire to renew and increase our appreciation of the power of God's word. Now let's look at the word of God as living and powerful. It is needful to say that the word of God is not some dead letter. Okay? The word of God is active and alive. So it's not a dead letter. We notice in many scriptures and particularly many other scriptures that speaks about the abiding nature of God's word. That the word of God is ever abiding. Peter in 1 Peter 1 23 to 25 puts it this way. He says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flowers fall away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So we see here that the word lives and it abides forever. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says that the word of God endures forever. And this is the passage that was quoted in 1 Peter 23. 1 verse 23, it says, grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our, of our God stands forever. In other words, it is an enduring word. It does not pass away. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 24 verse 35. He says that my words shall not pass away. It says heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will by no means pass away. So we see that the life of God's word is due to the nature of God himself. The life of God's word is due to God's nature. God's God and his word is one. Firstly, God is eternal. He is the living God. He lives forever. He is lives forever, and in Hebrews 3, verse 12, it states, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It's referring to God as the living God. In Jeremiah 10, verse 10, it says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. 
as at his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Speaks about God being a living God. God cannot lie. What God says comes through. God's word will never return back to himself without any effect. Hebrews 6 verse 18 that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to, to lay hold of the hope set before us. So this is the confidence that we have that God is true to his word. God does not lie. His word never perish. Timothy 1 verse 2 says, in hope of eternal life, which, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Thus, his word will never perish. Thirdly, Jesus said that the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The word that God speaks is spirit and life. And this is recorded in John 6, verse 63. So we see here that making the point that the words of God, God's word, is not some dead letter. It is alive. Secondly, the, that God's word is alive, is seen in its power. The fact that God's word is alive is seen in the power of his word. So the life of God's word has an effect. It is a powerful effect. It has the power to accomplish its intended purpose. So this is point number one. We look at several points and we will uh, list the scriptures next to each of that. Firstly, it has the power to accomplish its intended purpose. Isaiah 55, 10 to 11 reads, it says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. Then secondly, the gospel in particular has the power to save. This is what Paul says in Romans 1, 16 to 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for with for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. James 1.21 Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Then thirdly, through God's word, we can be born again. 
through God's word, we can be born again. 1 Peter 1, 22 to 23, reads as follows. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Then in James 1 verse 18 says, he chose, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he created. Then fourthly, it works effectively. The word works effectively in those who believe. The word works effectively in those that believe. As we find in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us. You welcomed it not as the word of men. But as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believes. Then in Hebrews 2, we've read this passages before, in Hebrews 4, rather, verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached unto us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those heard it. So here we see that the effects of the word is to those that believe. Fifthly, it can build us up. The word of God can build us up and give us the inheritance that is ours. This we find in Acts 20 verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an in inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Then the sixth point, the word of God can make the man of God complete for all good works. As we read in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this is the power of God, God's word that is able to do this. Let me repeat those six points. Firstly, it has the power to accomplish its intended purpose. Secondly, the gospel in particular as the power to save. Thirdly, through God's word, we can be born again. Fourthly, it works effectively in those who believe. Fifthly, it can build us up and give us the inheritance that is ours. And then sixthly, it can make the man of God complete for all good works. So with such a living and a powerful word at our disposal, we would be foolish to neglect the blessing it offers or the warnings it gives us. It is a power 
it, its power is seen um, further down. We will look at the word of God and how the effects and how the power of God is revealed. The word of God is sharp and discerning. So we've looked at word of God being powerful. And now we look at the word of God being sharp and a discerner. It says the word of God then is a sharp to its sword. The word of God is often likened to this powerful object. Now a sharp edged sword is a sword that is edged or that is rather that is sharp on either side, two edges. That's why the Bible describes it as a two-edged sword. In Ephesians 6, verse 17, the word of God is described as a sword. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Then in Jeremiah 23. It is described as a fire and a hammer. It says, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? So here we also see the power of God's word and the effects of God's word as it is being compared uh, with a two-edged sword and then also with fire and a hammer. So to illustrate its sharpness as a sword, the word of God is said to pierce, okay? So the piercing of it, the power lies in, and the two-edged, the, the fact that it's a two-edged sword, it pierces. The Bible says, even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, the word of God is able to cut through everything that is in man. It is easily seen when one looks at a, a object, a sharp object, and how it is able to cut on both sides, uh, therefore piercing. So let's look at the word, the word of God being a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of heart. Bible says that it, firstly, it cuts it divides between the soul and the spirit and of the joys and the marrow. And then it states that it, it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Bible speaks about the heart of man being deep. Okay? So with its sharpness, it is able to sh of sifting through the, and revealing the heart of man. It is very interesting to note that the Bible speaks in, in Romans, it says that the spirit of God searches all things. The spirit of God knows all things. It searches all things. And it even reveals the heart of man. And here we see that the word of God is capable of shifting and revealing uh, the intent of the heart, revealing man's heart, even that which man is he hiding of trying to conceal from God, the word of God is able to reveal the very depths and intent and thoughts of, of a person's heart. Its effect on man reveals his true heart. Uh, this is the capability of the word of God that is able to bring forth the nature and the true intent of man's heart. 
in some cases, that's that one's heart is sincere, open to change, all right? So firstly, when it, it reveals the heart, it brings man to change. In Acts 2, verse 36 to 37, it reads as follows. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Here we see the response of the, the brethren after they've heard the word. The immediate response is uh, that their hearts were revealed and that they sought a way out to repent. So therefore they asked the apostles, what shall we do? Other times that one's heart has no desire to change. So we see that even though the heart, the word of God reveals the heart, in this first instance, we see that men were driven, men were brought to a point where they wanted to change and therefore they asked the apostles, the Peters in particular, what shall, what must we do? In Acts 5 verse 3, it reads, and stating the fact that um, that there would not be a desire of the heart, a desire to change in man's heart, even after their hearts has been exposed. It reads as follows, Acts 5 verse 3. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. In other words, they were so furious that they wanted to shut them up because of the condition of their heart. In Acts 7 verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Here again, we see another response. A refusal to change, refusal to have a desire to change. One cannot hear or read the word of God without being affected by what the word of God reveals to us. So here we see it's either one is moved to change, having a desire to change, or one resists uh, the change and deny the effects of the word. So as stated earlier, the life of God's word is due to the nature of God himself. In a similar way, the power of God's word is due to the nature of God. We, often, we read in, in John 1, where it says that the word of God in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So God and his word is one. And here we read that the life of God's word is due to the nature of God himself. So similarly, the power of God's word is due to God's powerful nature. So we're going to look at the power of God's word due to his omniscience. Omniscience, God's omniscience refers to God's all-knowing, the fact that God knows all, God is all-knowing. And in Psalm 139 from verse 12, 1 to 12, we read there how 
David speaks about the all-knowingness of God, the fact that God has, um, he says that God, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar. And when we read further in this passage, it reveals how God knitted him together in his mother's womb and how David then says that he's, he's being wonderfully made. So stating the fact that nothing is hidden from God, God knows all, and that God even knew, knew us when we were yet in our mother's womb. Then also Solomon writes about God's omniscience, God's all-knowing power. And this we read in the Proverbs, Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God sees all and God knows all. That is why there is no creature hidden from his sight but all things are naked and open to his eyes. And this is what we read in Hebrews 4, verse 13, that all things are not hidden from the sight of God. Nothing is hidden from the sight of God. And his power is due to his omniscience. Therefore, no one can hide from the, from the judge. No one can hide from judgment. No one can escape judgment. As David uh, counseled his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28 verse 29, <coughs> it reads, As for you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands the intention of every thought. If you seek him, you will be fine. He will, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. This is 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9. It is before God's omniscient judge that we must one day give an account. And all of us will one day stand before the omniscient judge one day. There is a judgment day coming in which God will judge the world through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. No one is, no one is um, immune or niemand is gefreewaar van die oordeel van die No one will escape the judgment of God because in Acts 17 verse 30 to 31 we read therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in Romans 2, verse 15 to 16, 
they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience confirms this. Their, compete, their competing thoughts will, will either accuse or excuse them. On the day when God judges what people have kept secret, according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. This is Paul speaking. Then in 2 Chronicles 5 verse 10, for we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ so that each day be, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. We can also read about the judgment day in, in Revelation 20 from 11 to 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to the works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up its death, and the dead in Hades gave up their dead. All they judged, all were judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, and everyone not found written in the book of life was throwing into the lake of fire. Here it speaks about God's judgment. Then the standard by which we will be judged is the work spoken through his son. The son speaks. We've, we've read in the very first passage of Hebrews that God in these days speak through his son. And the son, what his son is speaking is the standard by which all men are being judged. So Jesus in John 12 verse 48 says, the one who rejects me and doesn't accept my saying, my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. We see that in these days, everyone, or many, is receiving the word of God. But the Son has set a standard by which no man can escape the judgment. Which shall give a special um, force to the warning found in Hebrews 2 from verse 1 to 3. It says, we must therefore pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message was, that was spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a judge punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such great salvation? It was spoken by the, by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard it. So here we say that, see that there is warnings given and it's needful for us to, to pay special attention to what we have heard. 
It says, if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression was just justly punished, then how shall we escape the judgment if we neglect the words spoken through God's son? So let me just remind you again that we busy speaking about the power of God's word, God's powerful word, and how in Hebrews 12, verse 13, rather Hebrews 4, verse 12 to 13, it speaks about the, the word of God being powerful, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. This word that was spoken to us concerning the warnings and concerning the examples um, of the Israelites and what happened to them because they neglected the word. And now in Hebrews 2, it says, we now need to give special attention, more, even more attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. So in conclusion, let me just then highlight a few points. Firstly, the power of God's word is derived from himself. We say that God and his word is one. So his power, the power of God's word is because of God's nature. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing and is able to see into the hearts of men. Therefore, his word is able to cut to the hearts of men and reveal their true nature. We see in many instances when Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus was able to <clears throat> read into their hearts. Jesus was able to speak things which cut their, them to the heart. Paul, them, the disciples, them even, they spoke words and their words were able to cut because they speak from the spirit, the word that reveals the intent of man's heart. God is living, eternal. Who will one day judge the world? The, the eternal God, the living God. Remember, God is eternal. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And cause God is living. His word does not pass away. His word abides forever. Therefore, his word that abides forever will be the standard by which we will be judged. The word that abides forever is the standard by which man will be judged. So in view of the power of God himself and the power of his word, how would we, how dare we neglect the warnings that is given in it, such as those that is found in Hebrews uh, 4 verse 1 and Hebrews 11, where it warns us of the what has happened. It says that, therefore, while the promise to enter his grace remains, let us fear that none of you shall miss it. And this is pointing to the fact that the Israelites at that time, they missed it because they did not give heed to what was spoken. In Hebrews 4 verse 11, it says, let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. 
speaking about the disobedience of the Israelites and how they missed it because of the disobedience and rebellion. So how dare we neglect to even read about the warnings as many do by not, by not reading the Bible. All right, so many re even read the warnings, but many do not take heed to what has been written, what's been, what they read. So remember how we react to the word of God reveals the true nature, the true character of us, all right? We read in, in some passages how when the Pharisee or the rather the disciples spoke, the reaction of man's heart, some are so dull of heart that they reach, that they react with indifference and say, so what? Some has got a never-minded attitude when it comes to the warnings and how God speaks in his word. Some does not really care because they are so dull in their heart. The Bible speaks about their heart has become blunt. Some are cut to the heart, angrily resisting the word and blame the messenger. They, we've read in, in Acts um, 7 verse 54, that when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. This is what happens. Some people find it an offense to hear the word of God and truthfully say that anyone that has the spirit of God in him, the spirit of Christ, should not be offended by the word of God. And this is a true indication of one that has drifted away, fallen, come and short. If one then blames the messenger and angrily resists the word. Then thirdly, we have the group that for that some that are cut to the heart and they cry out like the, the men in Acts 2 verse 37, where they cried out and say, what shall we do? They asked Peter them, said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Because they realize that they were cut to the heart but they show a deep, intense desire to change. Hence, the cry out, what shall we do? So if we, if we respond to God's word, see saving grace, then we want to encourage you to heed to the warnings that is listed in the scriptures, especially here in the book of Hebrews and the words of our Lord our Lord. Uh, himself like we say that the the word was confirmed in many places and therefore it's needful for us to be encouraged and take heed to these warnings revelations 2 verse 8 says be faithful until death and i will give you the crown of life god gives us a promise that if we remain, if we stay, remain steadfast, we will be rewarded and we will be rewarded with life. So God bless the reading of his word, the ministry of his word, and may your heart uh, truly be blessed as you have listened to the infallible word of God. Blessings.